Hello everyone and welcome to Indian Genes. Uh, before we start, I'd like to inform you that this introduction is recorded on a phone call uh, due to the fact of us being in lockdown as a precautionary measure due to the coronavirus. And the main episode uh, was recorded in our studio, so it will be of uh, premium audio quality. And from all of us here, at Indian Genes, we do hope that you and your families are staying safe. And I'm sure that we all have the resolve and restraint uh, to fight this global pandemic. These are tough times for all of us. And as a, a global community, it surely only strengthens our resolve to look out for one another. And as we grow more interdependent on one another, we come to realize our place in nature. Before I get into this episode, I want to, first of all, thank each and every one of you. Uh, the response from you has been wonderful. Your suggestions have been coming in. We've been receiving a lot of them. And uh, a few of you have also been sending us requests to speak to certain guests and cover certain topics. A lot of you have asked us to cover the humanities as well, uh, history, philosophy, psychology. We will be doing that, and I can assure you, that we have a bunch of amazing episodes coming up uh, with a great uh, guest lineup as well. And we will be announcing this uh, very soon. Now, as we get into this episode, let me first highlight and underscore that this discussion was recorded way back in the middle of February. And I say way back as time seems to have slowed down for all of us and perspectives have changed quickly. The conversation seems to have happened on the other side of a virtual filament uh, that all of us seem to have crossed after March 11th this year, when the coronavirus was actually declared as a global pandemic. When we recorded this conversation in February, none of us knew what was in store for us just one month later. And I can tell you that the day we actually recorded the number of cases recorded in Italy were just 323. India had just six cases. The US had only 63 cases. Croatia had recorded its first case. France had just 14, Germany 18. And The Guardian that day was running an article with the headlines, what does it mean if Corona is declared a pandemic? My guest, is a mythologist with a PhD in comparative mythology. He works out of Hollywood and is busy writing, producing, and consulting for film and television. He has worked with Harrison Ford, Paul McCartney, Julia Roberts, Matt Damon, Denzel Washington, among other celebrities. And both of us got into this discussion hoping to talk about mythology and storytelling, which we did. But uh, strangely, both of us had no clue that what we would be covering during this discussion was actually going to have much deeper meaning for a lot of people just one month later. I am going to leave you to listen and internalize as you feel fit. We talk in depth about the hero's journey. And I would like to dedicate this episode to all the heroes out there selflessly serving their communities and countries, like people in the medical profession, 
aviation professionals, transport workers, sanitization workers, and each and every one of you out there as well who are currently navigating your own personal hero's journey. I now present my conversation about the past for the present and future with Dr. John Booker. Hi, John, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on Indian Genes. It is an absolute pleasure to be on Indian Genes. I am so honored to uh, be a part of your podcast. Uh, thank you, John. I know I have been waiting for a long time to speak to you, uh, reading all your material online, listening to your, you talking all over the world. So, John, why don't you tell us? You've got a you've got an extremely exciting background and mythology. I'm sure that is really interesting. How did how did you get interested in mythology? How did it start? Did it did it happen to you when you were a kid and and something exciting happened? Yes, actually, when I was a kid, I really enjoyed watching movies about adventurers that went to other countries and other lands and. I was just fascinated by the different cultures around the world, and I I really became interested in story, in storytelling, and I was fascinated, you know, that all these different cultures and countries had so many unique stories, but so many of the stories were, were similar, and so many of the stories we would hear in country after country uh, from people who never met each other and this fascinated me. Mm-hmm. There was a very uh, famous series of films that came out uh, about this character called Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, and yeah, I was I was very interested in uh, the work that he did, and um, you know, getting to explore other other cultures. So as a child, that was my initial interest in mythology. But I I really took that in a professional sense um, into the world of storytelling, and I've spent uh, the the last, you know, two decades of my life working in Hollywood, California, where I'm talking to you from right right now, working in film and television with, you know, different um, striding them improved story, but... In the last few years, the last five or six years, I've taken my career as a mythologist much more seriously, and I went and did deep study and received my doctorate, my PhD mm-hmm. in mythology, and now I've combined those interests in mythology with my interests in story, and I've just tried to, to cut out and craft a very unique career for myself in this world. And the study or the PhD in mythology, that would have taken you, I guess, through all the myths all over the world, and uh, you would have passed India as well. Absolutely. I I, uh, took several courses, actually, where I was very focused on the study of uh, Indian myths. And um, I I took uh, one class in particular on Hindu mythology that um, really was very meaningful to me. Um, I was unfamiliar before this this area of study with the Vedic literature and the mm-hmm. epics, you know, uh, the the uh, Ramayana and the, the Puranas, and I I became absolutely fascinated by these um, these stories and these narratives, and I I still to this day uh, remain very interested. I 
I keep um, a Google alert on my computer um, about mythology. And every day I go and look at the different stories from around the world about mythology. And I'm happy to report to you that I see more stories from India than any other nation about mythology. Mm -hmm. I think India is more connected to mythology than any other country in the world. And and that is something to be so proud of. Absolutely. And you being the expert on, on the various stories from all over the world, I guess a lot of us would want to know technically, how would you define or how, what would you say is the difference between maybe a myth or a legend and a story? Is, is there something that we could use as a definition? Ah, that's, this is a very good question. Um, the, the famous mythologist Joseph Campbell was once asked, uh, to define mythology or what is mythology. And we often see, um, you know, the beliefs of others uh, as mythology, but if they're our own beliefs, then we see them as something much more serious. So I was raised in the, the Christian tradition and was not uh, led to believe that that was any sort of mythology whatsoever, that that was historical truth. Right. Uh, in the same way that someone who um, you know, is is raised um, uh, in Islam or as a Buddhist or as a Hindu, um, w- would see their own traditions very differently than someone coming from outside those traditions. Right. So, yeah, for me, mythology always, regardless of what tradition it is connected to, mythology always has to do with the subtext or the undergirding of the stories within a culture um, that tell us what it means to be a human being. Mm -hmm. I I, I really believe that's what mythology does. It's this psychological piece to storytelling that helps us understand what it means to be truly human. Now, myths are are, are very different than, say, fairy tales or other types of story in that they often... um, will will take us on a journey, a mythic journey uh, that is about the development of the the person who is going through uh, the, uh, the the various trials and circumstances within the myth, where a fairy tale is going to usually uh, have some sort of lesson um, or a, a parable may also have some sort of lesson for us. Myths and mythology are not so much about simple matters of ethics or simple matters of right and wrong or simple morality. Mm-hmm. Myths really help us to understand uh, our, our own nature, our psychology, the way that we interact with human beings, and the deeper aspects of, of the human experience. All right. So I, I would say, you know, while, while parables, fairy tales— um, legends, uh, these can be, you know, entertaining, of course, and they're they're wonderful, and they have their own, you know, form of study, and many times are closely connected to myths and mythology. Um, I think mythology stands alone in trying to help us understand the human experience and what it means to be a human being on a much more deeper level than other types of stories. Right. And it's it's amazing that you mentioned uh, Joseph Campbell because uh, his book, uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, I think that has kind of set the benchmark or given everybody a starting point to 
technically start uh, understanding these stories and figuring out, especially when it comes down to comparative uh, mythology for stories from all over the world. I think the work that he's done or he's put in is absolutely stunning. Do you agree? I completely agree. And a lot of my work right now actually is with the Joseph Campbell Foundation. Okay. So I'm working with um, the the organization, you know, that uh, that continues his work and that uh, promotes his ideas. Um, you know, Campbell, uh, he is was someone who really had a deep interest in looking at all the mythologies of different countries around the world. But I will say he had a particular interest in Indian mythologies. Mm-hmm. He um, he uh, w- was mentored by another uh, historian and writer and mythologist um, who who wrote you know uh, quite in depth about Indian mythology and he he gained that love of Indian mythology. Right, right. Uh, that, from his I, own. I think that was uh, Jodi uh, Krishnamurti, right? Yes, yes, right, and, right. Uh, you know, Krishnamurti is is someone who is still very, very important to the discussions around mythology. Right. Um, even you know, right now, I I was having a conversation with about Krishnamurti with someone just this last week. Um, so uh, Campbell may have been more influenced by Krishnamurti than any other person uh, in his life. Um, and he wrote extensively about what that uh, what that influence meant to him. Yeah, yes, he did. And I think then I think that was followed up or, or what we got was the hero's journey. And I'm sure it's going to be very exciting uh, talking about the hero's journey from from your perspective, because I think you would be already using it and you're practically writing stories uh, for my listeners. You're a movie producer, you direct you. Uh, h- how else do you uh, use this particular a hero's journey, and yeah. and what do you think is 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 actually the the thesis here? How would you explain it to us? Yes, so you know there there are um, many details that we could get into about the hero's journey, uh, and uh, we we could walk through all the various pieces. But maybe on the most simplistic form, or the the way we can describe it best, Mm. uh, would be the three areas that Campbell pointed to. And this is uh, the separation, the the initiation, and the return. So the separation is when the hero uh, is is either forced to leave everything that he knows uh, or, or chooses to leave everything that he knows. He leaves the normal world. He chooses to go out and, and either seek his fortune or seek adventure, or, or there's something that causes a separation from the community. Uh, and oftentimes it's because there's a great need in mm-hmm. that community mm-hmm. that the hero is going to go out and try and bring something back to help the community. Mm. So there's that separation uh, that is is a key part of the hero's journey. And then the second area of the hero's journey is the initiation and the initiation is going to involve all sorts of trials and problems uh, that the hero will encounter before uh, the hero can get to to where he's trying to go to 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 solve the problem or to to get the elixir that the community needs. And oftentimes, um, the, the the hero faces down death right. and, and faces you know the most. Um, 
uh, problematic challenges that human beings can face. Mm-hmm. And then the return is where the he- hero brings what's called the boon or the elixir back to the community. And the hero returns home and brings um, uh, the, 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 the medicine, the healing properties back to the community. Now, what's interesting about the hero's journey is then this process begins all over again. It's a circular process that speaks to our journey in life, Mm -hmm. how we, too, are constantly facing uh, problems and challenges time and time again. And one thing I love about the hero's journey is it's not just about the hero, but it's also about the hero's relationship with the community. We need each other. We we have to be... um, aware of the fact that our journey is not just about us, but it is about how we can serve others, how we can bring uh, the, 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 the medicine that helps to, to heal the world. I've also seen that in some cases, if the circle is not complete and uh, some stories, uh, you know, jump off it, if there is no return, because I think that's a very yes. important part. A lot of people put a lot of emphasis on the separation, like you said, and the initiation, and then it tapers off. But I think the return becomes equally important because that actually closes the circle. I completely agree. I, I feel like many times, especially in Western stories and in Western films and a lot of the films produced in the United States, um, they they do leave off this this part of the hero's journey of the return, mm-hmm. and I agree with you. I feel like it closes the circle. It's very important to recognize um, again that the the story is not just about the hero, but the story is about uh, the individual's relationship with the community. I, I once uh, heard a very wise man that said, um, you know, myths and and hero's journeys type stories. Um, they they resonate so deeply with human beings because they're based on how we solve problems. Mm-hmm. And I think we learn a lot from these stories, uh, and, and they resonate so deeply with us because they, they mirror the way that we solve problems in the real world. So I may go on a hero's journey just this, you know, today here in Hollywood, just going to get uh, some food and coming back home. Um, so that may be a very small hero's journey, but I think these big epic tales, you know, of of heroes that go out uh, in in return uh, with the, a boon for their community, um, they speak to our our overall life journeys, not just the small moments of our day, but our overall life journeys, and that's why I think they're so important for us. Right. And I think the journey, like I'm just getting a little bit into uh, deeper into the hero's journey, because I think it's connected to all of us. Like you said, everyone has their own journey. And the part where you go through the initiation before you can actually return, uh, that particular part, do we define it as belly of the veil, where somebody actually goes down deep into his consciousness, tries to figure out what exactly needs to be done in certain cases, and then symbolizes a person actually coming back or conquering that part of it, right? That's exactly right. And, you know, the belly of the whale is such an interesting part of the hero's journey because mm. the belly of the whale is is where the hero experiences this reflection. Sometimes we refer to this as uh, the dark night of the soul or, mm-hmm. or the all hope is lost uh, moment in the story. 
where it seems like the hero is completely trapped. It seems as though the hero will, will never be able to see the light of day again. And oftentimes it is in this moment, in the belly of the whale, that the hero must be reminded of who he is. Because the, the hero usually becomes trapped because he, he forgets who he is. Right. Um, there, there's an ancient Syriac poem uh, called The Hymn of the Pearl mm-hmm. that uh, I, I recommend to your listeners uh, to, to go back and read because it, it is very much about a young man whose uh, father was the king of the East and his mother was the mistress of the West, and they send him out on a mission to bring back this pearl to mm-hmm. their kingdom. And it takes so long to get to where he's going and to finally find the pearl that he eventually forgets who he is. Mm-hmm. And the, the parents must send a, a secret bird uh, through the night that delivers a message to the young man uh, many years later that reminds him who he is so he can complete his journey. And I think that's often what happens in the belly of the whale is that heroes are reminded who they are and that hope is not lost, and that uh, somehow they, they are going to uh, complete you know, the work that they've started. Right. And I think a great example for people listening here would probably be the movie Dark Knight. That's exactly what you've just described. Uh, there's a scene where uh, he is, he's, he's going down the well, or he's stuck in this well, and he's yes. trying to make his way out. Like so many of the other movies, that exactly symbolizes what we're talking about. That's right. That's exactly right. Even, you know, in the original Star Wars film, we see the characters trapped inside a trash compactor where the walls are moving in towards them. And it seems like uh, they're they're going to be killed. Um, And this is a belly of the whale scene, you know, where all hope seems to be lost and uh, they they may be destroyed. Um, This belly of the whale scene, of course, comes from stories out of uh, the the, uh, the the Christian and the Hebrew and the Islamic traditions, the story of Jonah that uh, appears in many of these traditions where he is swallowed up by a whale. And um, we just see this motif time and time again in many traditions of a hero that uh, is, is swallowed up by a monster that they may not be able to escape from, or they find themselves in a dark hole, as you mentioned with the Dark Knight, um, and many of us, I think, relate to that. I know when I saw that film, mm-hmm. when I see that character uh, down in that hole, I think of all the times I felt like that, that I felt like that character. This is why, you know, psychology is such an important piece to mythology, because there are universal motifs that we see and we say, I have felt like that before. It's been said that mythology and mythological stories make us feel like when we hear them that we're remembering something we've forgotten as opposed to hearing something we never knew. Absolutely. And I think that also would be, I I think it was one of the Greek uh, heroes where uh, who was swallowed by the sea by the sea monster sent by Poseidon, right? And he cuts off. That's right. He cuts open the stomach and comes back out. It's all saying the same thing. That's right. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, I think (laughs) I think it's really interesting that we see that, you know, motif over 
and over again in so many different traditions. It tells us, you know, that it speaks to the universal nature of what it means to be, you know, human. And that is is exciting to me because I feel like that's um, one thing mythology does is it brings us together with these common experiences in common feelings. Right. And I think talking about Star Wars, George Lucas was was very direct or very clear when he said it was Campbell that actually influenced the whole story of, of uh, Star Wars. And I actually just uh, some time ago, I remember looking at an interview where he says that uh, the original Star Wars was very much influenced by mythological stories from all over the world. That's right. And um, George Lucas read... Uh, Joseph Campbell's book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, and decided to model uh, Star Wars after those classic stories that he read about from Joseph Campbell. And Campbell also became a a hero uh, to George Lucas in the same way uh, that, you know, Krishnamurti served as a mentor to Campbell. Campbell became that mentor to Lucas. Exactly. And that also talks about it when when, uh, I think it was Ben Kenobi who actually tells Lucas Skywalker to to uh, to to actually get down into his consciousness. I think there's a sword scene where he tells him to wear this mask, and he says, "You know, just wear the mask and let go of your consciousness." That uh, talks the same language. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and and we see, you know, one of the things that I think is very interesting about Luke Skywalker as a mythological character mm-hmm. is that Luke Skywalker has been orphaned. And we often see stories in mythology of orphans with a secret royal lineage. Mm -hmm. So Luke Skywalker is an orphan, but we learn throughout the progress of the story that he actually is descended from Jedi Knights. He's descended from important people. We see this with so many mythological stories. Um, We see this with Harry Potter, who is also an orphan. Uh, with a secret royal lineage. Mm -hmm. We see this again in the uh, Judeo-Christian and Islamic traditions with the story of Moses, Mm -hmm. um, who was also uh, orphaned and and has a secret, you know, lineage. So, so many of the religious mythological traditions involve an orphan who uh, uh, has a unique birth. Um, And this this idea of a unique birth, you know, is something we see throughout uh, Greek mythology, uh, of course, of course, the the birth of Krishna is a very unique uh, birth in mythology. Mm-hmm. So we we see the these same motifs and themes appearing time and time again. Right, and they and they somehow seem to have uh, the same beginning, whether it's and it's in a basket sailing down a river because Krishna was in a red basket, Moses was put down in a river, or if you take right. Romulus and Remus who who are actually the founders of Rome, they have a similar story as well. And you actually see that uh, all through the world. I'm impressed with how well you know your mythology. You, uh, you, that's exactly right. So I, I've also thought that uh, when it comes down to some of these uh, specific uh, myths from all over the world, and you just mentioned that it could be a king or it could be a king in the in the making, what is your thought on the connection between, let's say, for example, the famous or, or what everybody knows, the Osiris myth, uh, the old Osiris myth in Egypt? And, yes. uh, you know, how would you think, how does that feed in? Because there is some connection between Lion King 
Yes. And then we can talk about Hamlet. Would Would you yes. want to like piece this together for us? Yes, absolutely. You, you know, I when I first began studying mythology, I, I would look at mythological figures like Osiris, and uh, I, I would sort of do a comparative study where you saw, you know, how these uh, how similar characters appeared throughout literature and throughout film. And at one point, I I really became interested in trying to go back and see if uh, perhaps, you know, some of the stories of Osiris um, were originally, you know, stories that originated with Osiris or if if those stories even went back further mm-hmm. than Osiris. And one of the, the things that I discovered in, in uh, looking at Osiris is that uh, the the stories associated with Osiris um, appeared in some of the Babylonian and Assyrian myths and Akkadian myths that even predate those Egyptian myths. Right. Um, now, we, you know, we 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 have you know a a, a story uh, with Osiris, you know, that deals with murder and of course Osiris's brother Set and. Again, we see this uh, this motif appear throughout um, different you know stories. Again, from the Judeo Christian tradition, we see the story of Cain and Abel. Um, we uh, we we see stories of the murder of, of gods. Uh, again, some might say the, that that uh, um, Osiris uh, is is um, uh, very connected to the story of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Of being killed and then uh, rising again and mm-hmm. resurrected. Right. Um, we we also you know look and and see stories uh, that uh, you know the the Osiris myth in some ways uh, has echoes of the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is um, you know one of the the oldest myths that we're aware of that was written down that we still have some. Uh, record of so yeah, I, I, I think that's also the yeah. first uh, road trip, right? Gilgamesh. That's right, the first road trip. <laughs> the first exactly road trip in in, in mythology or history. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm always interested to go back to the Epic of Gilgamesh and see how many of the uh, the, the story ideas and motifs that we currently see in films or that we see throughout literature. Uh, have their origin in the epic of um, of Gilgamesh, right? And you, it's interesting that you bring up Gilgamesh because uh, then with Gilgamesh obviously comes the the flood myth, and yes. uh, we can talk about that because I think uh, uh, at last count there were over two hundred flood myths all over the world, That's and right. everyone knows the Noah story. But uh, right. tell us what's exactly happening there. What is this flood myth uh, all about? You know, many mythologists and historians have often considered this flood myth because when we we look at how many cultures that this story of a great flood appears in, as you mentioned in, uh, in the Epic of Gilgamesh or uh, the story of Noah, um, it, it is likely that there were many great floods that happened in different cultures around this time in the lower Mesopotamian Valley and that people wrote about these great floods. However, 
It also has been suggested by historians and mythologists that there actually was a a very great flood that was so large it impacted cultures all throughout the region Mm -hmm. and that people remembered it and told stories about it for many, many years afterwards. And even the, the grandchildren of the people who experienced it had heard these stories and told the story to their grandchildren. So there's there's quite a bit of suggestion that uh, the, the flood myths did originate with an actual uh, great flood. What I think is more interesting than uh, the, the historical piece, you know, that connects uh, that flood to um, uh, history is I believe it resonated with people because we all fear being overwhelmed or consumed by something we cannot control. Right. And I think even before human beings had um, language to describe the type of stories we see in Gilgamesh, I believe human beings knew what it was like to feel overwhelmed by nature to feel like there were powerful forces in nature that they could not control, that could devastate their lives, that could wipe out their food and their families and their homes, and there was a great fear of that. And so many of the the, the stories, you know, we were just talking about the Osiris myth, mm-hmm. and I think murder comes up in that story because um, people were living in an era when, where death was very nearby and I think that fear of death is something that always arises in human stories because it's one of our great fears. Right. And I think also because these, it could be, one of it could be that uh, most of this would probably have started around uh, 10,000 BC and that would have been the end of the last uh, ice age. So seawaters were rising all over the world and they could actually have been this cataclysmic uh, uh, flood all over the yes. world where waters were rising and people were experiencing it. So this is actually them uh, passing their stories down through their experience. Yes, yes. I, I believe that's very possible. I, I really do. I, I think the fact that we do see uh, this story appear, you know, in so many cultures from the region, um, I, I believe it does speak to something that must have actually happened that had such a great impact on people. Mm-hmm. And and Waterworld uh, tried that out, and and we had the latest version of it, right, with the movie. <laughs> that didn't work. Yes, we we've seen a, a, a number of different storytellers try to. Uh, um, uh, reconnect us with this idea of the great flood. Mm. We have a we have a version in India as well. Uh, I'm sure you know about it. Uh, uh, a person by the name Manu, and it it's quite similar to the Noah story because, and it's it's uh, it's really similar because Manu had three sons, similar to Noah, but the only difference here was that the flood in the Indian uh, story was part of the natural order of things. It wasn't a divine uh, punishment like it was in some of the other stories. But most of, most of it, other than that, uh, seems, to, seems to be quite interesting. Ah, that, that uh, I love, um, you know, I, I've, I've briefly heard of this story uh, from Indian mythology, but I, I absolutely love to, to learn more uh, about these stories that, uh, again, I have familiar, uh, familiarity with uh, from another culture. It, it makes me think, um, you know, I, I would be interested in, uh, in 
the two of us conversating for a second on um, Vishnu is one of my uh, favorite gods. Yeah, in, and he's in the, sorry. So he's part of this myth story as well because here he appears as a fish, and he is actually ah. he's actually the person who tells uh, Manu uh, how he's going to save the world, and he gives him the directions about the boat, and you know, so spot on. That that I did not want to embarrass myself, but I thought Vishnu was part of this story. So I'm glad to hear I was correct. Right, you're um, absolutely right about that. Um, I I feel like you know Vishnu is a character. While we see similar mythological figures in other traditions, Vishnu um, to me seems to stand separate from so many other mythological characters. Is such a unique character for Indian mythology. Um, and I, I, I have tried to read as much as I can, you know, about, uh, Vishnu, but, um, I, I would be curious to, to know, you know, where you feel like you see Vishnu, uh, in, in some of the more modern stories. Do you see Vishnu's archetype appearing in, uh, some of our more modern films and stories? I've, I've tried to look for that as well, because, Normally, what happens with uh, Vishnu is he is he is known to be the preserver in right. the so he's part of the like it's called the Trimurti. Uh, right. So he is the preserver. He's the supreme being, and and he has a lot of metaphysical uh, powers to him. Mainly, you know where he can he can impact. But uh, I'm not able to pin something. Uh, directly at the moment because I've not thought about it, but that's a very interesting comment that you've made, and I'm definitely going to give it more thought as well. Yes, I, it's something I've thought about. You know, also what I, I think one of the, um, the 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 initial thoughts that's come to mind for me is because you know Vishnu has uh, these different avatars that he appears, you know, as. And, um, and he can all, and he can freely move anywhere. You know, he can go into any I, any area or any situation. Exactly. I, I'm often reminded, in some ways, of the superhero mythology of Superman, mm. who has this you know this uh, this avatar of Clark Kent, and then the avatar of Superman. Mm. And while Vishnu certainly has so many more avatars uh, than just two, yeah. um, you know, Superman also can can so quickly move from place to place. I feel like there's at least influence from Vishnu on the character of Superman, or at least the, the superhero mythology uh, about characters, you know, that can um, um, uh, shapeshift and, and shift into different avatars. Right. And it's interesting that you mentioned the the superhero world because I definitely want to come back to that a little bit later and talk about DC and Marvel. Uh, yeah. My my son has in fact given me a couple of questions to ask you, so I'm going to love I'm, it. I'm, I'm going to come back to that uh, definitely to to that uh, segment as well. But why do, why don't you tell us a little? Uh, what are the other? Uh, you know, is there any other interesting, uh, uh, maybe a fairy tale or a story that you think? Uh, I think Red Riding Hood is quite interesting. Red Riding Hood is one of my favorites. It, yeah. it really is. Um, I think there's there's so much uh, um, that we still don't understand about the importance of that narrative among the cultures who who orally would would tell this to their their children. Right. But um, I I would mention one other uh, particular 
narrative that I've become quite fond of lately, and it's a myth that comes from uh, the West African tradition, and it's the myths surrounding Anansi. Mm-hmm. And Anansi is a spider god. He, he often appears in the form of a spider in West Africa. But one of the things I enjoy most about the stories of Anansi is he is credited in West Africa of the god who brought stories to human beings. Mm-hmm. In the the myth, uh, the supreme god kept all the stories in the world in a box, and Anansi was the one who knocked over the box and spilled them out on the earth so that human beings could have stories. And because stories are so important in my life, uh, I've always very much loved this this myth of Anansi um, and the the idea that uh, one of the uh, African gods brought stories to human beings. Mm. And was it also the same? Is it connected to another version of it where uh, he used he climbed a tree uh, carrying this pot on his back, and then his son said. Uh, you know, you need to carry it the other way, and the pot fell down, and that's when wisdom spread all throughout. That, the, is it the same? Am I on the same line? It is. Yes, it is. That that's another myth uh, associated with Anansi. You know, one of the things I enjoy about mythology so much is that there's no single version of any myth that is the true version. Mm-hmm. There's there's always lots of different uh, stories, you know, associated with all the gods and with the different. Uh, myths, and this is because most of these myths originated at a time when they were passed down through oral tradition. People told these stories by word of mouth, and the stories changed as different people told them. Um, what I love about that is it gets us out of the realm of thinking about mythology in terms of a clear structure of saying, oh, it's, it's, it's very uh, definitive, this is the true myth. Um, no, all of these different versions of the myth give us something uh, to be appreciated about the larger idea that the myth is is helping us understand. Mm. I, I was also looking at something really interesting. We were talking uh, about Red Riding Hood, and there's a particular gentleman called Jamie Terani, who is an anthropologist at the Durham University in UK. And in fact, this was published in the National Geographic a few years ago. He actually published a paper saying that uh, he followed myths in a particular way. It was called the way you would follow human evolution. And, you know, he, he used a particular uh, a process where yes. of, of descent with modification, similar to evolution, where he said stories actually uh, originate somewhere and all through generations, it's obviously changed. And as per what he thought, it was uh, the, the Red Riding Hood story actually originated in China. Mm. Because there have been different versions in in Asia, in Europe. In Europe, it got to be Red Riding Hood. But in China, it was called The Wolf and the Kids. Mm. Interesting. Originally. And uh, because of certain lines in the story, he thought that it was, uh, you know, it had originated in China. But, But like you say, there are so many ways to look at this. But I think you would also agree that another very interesting one would probably be the the Greek Demeter and Persepo. You know, Demeter and Persephone uh, is probably my favorite myth of all time. Okay, great. So I'm happy I brought it up. (laughs) I am glad you brought it up. Uh, I really resonate with this myth. And, 
you know, on the surface, of course, it was how the, the Greeks explained, you know, the seasons and it was how they explained, you know, that uh, that that uh, when the uh, the six the, months the grass died. Yeah, exactly. The, six, the, the uh, pomegranates in the six months. That's right. That's right. Why don't you tell uh, it, our listeners a little bit? Give, a, give us a, a quick uh, snapshot of that so that they can uh, play along with us as well. Sure, absolutely. So in the, the story of uh, Persephone, she uh, is out one day gathering pomegranates with her friends and uh, up from the ground comes Hades on a chariot who snatches her and takes her to the underworld. And her mother, Demeter, is just heartbroken by uh, the, her, her uh, kidnapping. And her mother uh, goes to Zeus and asks Zeus to, to get her back. And Zeus sends Hermes down to the underworld. And Hermes uh, negotiates with Hades where um, uh, Persephone will spend six months of the year uh, down in the underworld and then six months of the year up uh, in the overworld with her mother Demeter. And, of course, this is how the Greeks uh, explained that uh, when the grass died, Demeter is goddess of the harvest. Mm. And so when Demeter, or when Persephone is in the underworld, Demeter does not allow the crops to grow. Uh, the, the, the grass freezes over, the trees die. Mm-hmm. And this was how the Greeks explained, you know, the winter time. Now, there's a couple of versions of the myth that uh, are very different. One version of the myth suggests actually that Persephone was in love with Hades, and they crafted this plan together for him to come get her and bring her down to the underworld, um, and that uh, the negotiation sort of threw a a wrench in their plan. Mm -hmm. There's another version of the myth where Persephone actually becomes very comfortable in her role as queen of the underworld, and she begins to enjoy her power there and really thrive in this environment. And we see this actually um, in some versions of the the Orpheus myth, where it's actually Persephone that persuades Hades uh, to to help Orpheus uh, uh, get you know fulfill his love. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think you know depending on which version of the myth that we we like uh, or that we most resonate with, we get a slightly different message, but. Psychologically, the idea of Persephone going to the underworld is very important because there is something to the natural seasons of the the psyche and the human experience that Mm -hmm. we need time in the underworld. We need time away from other people to recharge. Sometimes we need to go into the dark places inside ourselves and uh, deal with those things. Um, and so the the idea of of the feminine descent into the underworld it didn't originate with Persephone. Some would say it originated with the Babylonian myth, uh, the descent of Anana. Right. Uh, but um, we see this motif all throughout uh, storytelling, even in the most recent Star Wars films. In um, um, Episode Seven of the most recent Star Wars films, we, we see Ray descend into the basement where she receives Luke Skywalker's lightsaber and that idea of feminine descent uh, in order to bring about something powerful within herself. Mm, I think that was very obvious in V for Vendetta as well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because there was, uh, you know, when when she was actually locked up in the room towards the end 
and yes. uh, she was tortured for some time. And I guess that's part of the descent, like you said, because she faced her death. And at that moment, uh, she decided or she thought she was going to die and, and life changed after that. And th- there's a very symbolic scene where she actually comes out and she's cured of asthma. That's one of the, yes. you know, one of it. But uh, when you were talking about Persephone, it's interesting because I, I, I don't know if you've heard of this story in, in the U.S. actually but about this uh, lady, Mary Jemison. Mm, no, tell me. This was, you know, during the, uh, where the Indians, the, the particular, they were called the Shawnee tribe. And they had actually come in and there was this group of Scottish-Irish immigrants at that time. They had captured them. And uh, Mary Jemison was about 12 years old. So they took her with them as part of their tribe. She grew up with them. She, she married a couple of the tribesmen. And then finally, when she was retrieved by the, uh, by the uh, Irish and the Scots, she actually refused to get back into the civilization or the life that they had because she was so used to what she had done or where she was wow. living or the lifestyle that she had. And there's a great book, and I think she was known as, uh, she was called the White Woman of Genesia, you know, and, mm. and, and, and she has a statue actually in Adams County today. But I thought that was, that was very similar to one of the versions that you just spoke about just now, where Persephone, you said, she goes, goes down into the underworld and she actually does not want to actually come back there because that was where she wanted to go. Yes, yes, it sounds so similar. I love that. I'm so glad you shared that story with me. Right. It's very interesting as well. Now, I also wanted to check with you. Is, has it ever struck you about we have a lot of uh, movies or we have a lot of stories or we have a lot of myths about people with masks, you know? And I mm. bring this up because yes. we, we for Vendetta just came out. Yes. Uh, and uh, yes. there is some connection there. What, what do you think? What, what does the mask simpl- uh, signify? Yes, masks... I think are an important part of the mythological tradition because masks often speak to ritual and there's a deep connection between ritual and mythology. We see masks, of course, um, in especially the uh, Latin American traditions. We see masks in the African traditions. But I believe regardless of what tradition we see uh, the masks in or even if it's V for Vendetta, The masks symbolize something we want to be. Um, The masks, in many ways, were originally used in mythological stories to help people tell uh, uh, the the narratives that they were speaking of. There's even suggestions that some ancient peoples told stories about animals with masks before human beings even had language to, uh, to tell these stories with. The Greeks also, of course, used uh, masks in uh, their dramatic uh, presentations, their plays and theater. But I think masks, um, they, they in one sense hide who we really are. They in one sense help us to um, uh, put on the face that we desire uh, to be. And this is a very mythological uh, idea uh, that, again, I think we could return to Indian mythology and look at the different um, avatars of Vishnu and, and say, exactly. are those avatars in one way masks? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And and with, with talking about avatars, I would I would come back to uh, what we were originally, uh, we touched on, on as in the superheroes. So here's my superhero question for you. 
Okay. Since you're the superhero expert, and this is something that <laughs> this is something that my son, I told him to actually go to school and get some questions and talk to his kids, <laughs> and they were all very excited that I was going to be talking to you. So, uh, so he has this theory. He says that you know, uh, I mean, so they are Marvel fans. I know you are connected with DC. Sorry about that. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I like Marvel too. Yeah. So he says that uh, you know the character Iron Man or the Marvel characters. They, he yes. thinks he thinks that. Probably when it comes down to Superman or Spider-Man, he says people already know a lot about them. So probably when you write about them, you don't have too much because people have a fixed opinion. But Iron Man yeah. was never a never a, 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 a central character. And, you know, so yes. you could play around with it as you moved on. And I think that's what uh, gave him a little bit more modern, modern edge. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think your son is very wise because I yeah. think that is part of the success that launched the Marvel franchise um, is that they didn't uh, they didn't have much of the baggage that goes with big heroes like Batman and Superman and there, there's so much expectation around these characters and we know the narratives that surround them uh, that it makes it difficult in some ways to tell stories about them. However, I think Marvel was very wise to uh, bring Iron Man in at the very beginning of the cinematic universe they were creating because uh, your son's right. People didn't know very much about Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Most people didn't know, you know, that uh, Iron Man was really Tony Stark and that Tony Stark, um, you know, is this very wealthy individual. I think one of the key things to recognize about Iron Man that I think people really resonate with Iron Man um, because of this when we have DC characters, they are born with the gift. Mm -hmm. They are born with the uh, uh, the ability, with the exception of Batman, Correct. Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern. All these characters are born with the supernatural ability. Marvel is different in that characters like Iron Man, uh, Captain America, uh, you know, these these are characters who are actually born as just normal people. And then they receive the gift. Correct. And I think there's something very important to that that inspires us to say, ah, I could be like that person. I could be like Iron Man because in many ways, Iron Man, uh, while he received the gift, uh, Tony Stark was very deliberate in creating this superhero uh, is as much as the gift you know that Tony Stark received to become the superhero. Mm -hmm. So I think we relate to that on a very deep level. Yeah. And another question they wanted me to ask you was is there any possibility of us seeing a DC and a Marvel superhero altogether? <laughs> would would that uh, would that be possible? You know, I would love to see that. I I think because different companies own those characters, the only way we might ever see it is if those companies decide that it would make so much money that both companies could enjoy the profits. Mm. Or if someday DC or Marvel was sold to the same company, then I think we could see it. You know, for, for a while when uh, Star Wars was purchased by Disney and Marvel was purchased by Disney, there was some discussion about some crossover in a film between the Star Wars universe and uh, the Marvel universe. Now, I think they decided against that because fans uh, very well may may become very upset mm -hmm. about that right, of those right. respective franchises. But I think, um, unfortunately, you know, so much of of the what happens with these superheroes now is driven by uh, 
finances and and corporate earnings. So I think the only way we'll see that is if those companies decide there's so much money to be made that they uh, they both could share in the profits. Right, right. And John, uh, I mean, we 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 are limited for time. I do know that I could go on talking, but you got to stop me. Why, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how how do you work into when we talk about Hollywood? Everyone wants to know. What exactly happens there? So, for you, how do, uh, as a script writer, are you? Uh, you also, I think, are a consultant. You get into yes. uh, uh, production and stories. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do in that field? Absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about how my last week has been. Oh, that'd be interesting. It, it will give you, yeah, it will give you some sense of what my what my life is like. Um, so, uh, about a, a one week ago today. I was working on uh, marketing, uh, writing marketing material for the film Call of the Wild, which okay. is the new Harrison Ford movie. Right. And one week ago today, I sat down in a room and I interviewed Harrison Ford uh, for a while, talking to him about story and mythology and these things to use that material in um, uh, the the marketing material we were creating for Call of the Wild. Was it as interesting as this conversation? It was I'm just it joking. was <laughs> it was wonderful. It really was. This is this is I'm one joking. of my favorite conversations because we can go so deep with things. I'm so uh, but it was wonderful to sit down and talk to someone who has been my hero, you know, Indiana Jones and yeah, Han Solo. Oh yes, you said <laughs> that. Amazing. Yeah, that would have been great for you. Yeah, so I that was a week ago today. On Friday of last week, um I was in pitching a new television show that I've been writing uh, a pilot uh, for. Mm-hmm. On Monday, I was in pitching a, a film that I uh, have have written. And then this morning, I got up very, very early, and I spent two hours writing um, a, uh, uh, a, a new project that I'm working on that's not quite ready to take out and sell yet. So mm-hmm. I'm working on a new story. And then yesterday... I submitted a book proposal to my publisher for a new book that I would like to write. So, you know, that gives you some sense of, of what my week is like. Now, next week, I'm going to be consulting on a, a new film, uh, giving uh, ideas about the story and, and helping them shape the story. So that's what I'll be doing next week. But every uh, every week is is an exciting opportunity to engage with story and storytelling and I'll tell you this, you know, for anyone listening that um, wants, you know, a, a, a career in the story world, I did not start by being in Hollywood and getting to, you know, work with with big name actors. I started in a very, very small town just writing my own little stories. And the wonderful thing about story is you can work on stories and study story anywhere you live. Mm-hmm. There's no limitation to learning about story anywhere that you live. And I think that's so important for wherever people want to go. And yes, while you say you do all this, which is a lot of it is 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 hectic. How do you how do you actually sit down to write? What is your technique? Do you do you plan that I'm going to write for these two hours, or do ideas just come to you and then you? Because it may not always be possible, right? Uh, to to yes. plan writing. Well, and, and you bring up a very interesting point. I get up early every morning and I write for two hours before anyone 
uh, emails me or calls me or anything. So I have that time to myself. I like to write early in the morning because I am as close as possible to my dreams mm-hmm. and the editor inside of me has not woken up yet to to stop me from writing things. Right. So I like to write as early in the morning as possible. Um, now, I walk around all day with a small notebook constantly writing down little ideas that I will bring you know, with me each morning when I go to write. Uh, but many mornings I don't feel inspired and it feels like just normal work or it feels difficult. But it's important that you keep doing it anyway, because if you only write when you're inspired, if you only try and tell stories when you're inspired, um, you you will never get to the best material. And sometimes the best material comes just through the discipline of getting up in the mornings and insisting uh, to yourself that we're going to write today. We have to do this. It never gets any easier, Hmm. but it is important that you, you stay committed to uh, to writing on a regular basis because that's how you get better. Right. And like you said, or Carl Jung said, that uh, dreams actually are a part of the awakening story. And that's where yes. probably your ideas come from, right? You, you are, I am so impressed with you and all that you know about uh, Campbell and Jung and story. You, you, you must become my teacher. You know so much. Oh, I'm, 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 a, I'm, all, I'm a student. I'll always be one. And I, I really uh, am following you. But uh, again, I think people want to hear more about you. So tell us, where can my listeners find you, uh, your, your website, your book? Uh, yes. what, can we, what can we look for next? Yes. You can go to my website and see much of my work. It, my website is tellingabetterstory.com. Also, I've just released a the first episode of a new podcast that I'm doing Whoa. called Skeleton Keys. And you can subscribe on Apple Music or Spotify or anywhere you get podcasts. The podcast is called Skeleton Keys, mm-hmm. and it is a look at mythology history and pop culture we just released our first episode uh so go check that out and subscribe um also you can find me on instagram at telling a better story or you can follow me on twitter my twitter handle is john j-o-h-n-k-b-u-c-h-e-r brilliant we are definitely looking forward to the skeleton key we'll tag you for our release and before we let you go uh Follow your bliss. Wasn't that exciting when when uh, Campbell actually came up with that line? I don't know how many people know that it actually is Campbell's line. Yes, that is Joseph Campbell that said, follow your bliss. And there's so much wisdom to that. And anyone who's listening today, uh, I, I think, can can take a lot from that phrase that whatever it is in life, that uh, that that is is bringing you deeper into the mystery. That's bringing your curiosity to the surface. Follow that because there's treasure as you seek it. Great, John. We're going to leave you to get back to the big bright lights of Hollywood, and it's been an absolute pleasure. Like I said, I've been waiting to talk to you. I've been thinking about it, and I just hope that you spent your time well and uh, had a good time with us. I had a wonderful time. I hope that you'll have me back on. I would love to come back again. And please stay in touch with me because uh, I I always like to meet other members of the mythology and storytelling tribe. And you are are an important part of this tribe. So please stay connected with me. 
I definitely will. And you definitely have a free and open pass. Whenever you want to come back and talk to us, you can just message and we'll open up for you. I would love it. I can't wait. Thank you so much, John. All right. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. And again, thank you to all your listeners uh, for allowing me to be your guest on the show. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.